0: Just to kind of highlight again a little bit what Milton was talking about, it has it has been a week uh, of of interesting uh, developments and in things that have happened in relation to uh, youth group and everything like that. Uh, I got the opportunity to serve and leading worship for the youth for for our youth and for the youth uh, at our sister church across the lake. And well, it was uh, I could say that it, it was a week that resulted in some dangerously late nights. <laughs> some. <laughs> some stretched vocal cords, uh, and images that are burnt into my brain now from a talent show that are, that are just there when I close my eyes now. And I, I guess that's just my new, new reality. But, uh, as a side note, I do have to, to give a shout out to our CCC kids who took home yet another talent show title. It is just a, it's like Brady winning another one. It's just like, all right, um, but given the amount of times that CCC has won the championship, who knows that they'll allow them back into the competition moving forward. There was a collective groan once announced. But, I mean, what do they expect? They're, they're going against a dynasty right now. So, sorry, not sorry. Um, but seriously, there, there's some, some creative kids uh, here who will use whatever means necessary in order to get the win. And I do mean whatever means necessary, uh, because they 're willing to cross lines, they are willing to to use personal name images and likenesses, or your face blown up to the size of about this and dancing and doing things that I, like i said i can 't forget it, but I will say that I, my fee is ten percent for whatever your, whatever you got in that, you could talk to the other individuals that you represented, but my take is ten. Uh, <laughs> But interspersed uh, between the, the many youth camp games or the game who've, who could create the worst smell, uh, which uh, the winner of which was all the boys who decided to jump into the pond on the last <laughs> night for the sake of keeping their Tootsie Rolls in, in the t- uh, Tiki Torch game. Uh, I'm looking at you, oh, he's not here, but Mark, uh, Caleb, and I don't know if Owen did it, but whoever did it else, they stunk. I remember I was, came back in, I was like, I was like all right. I got to hold my breath from here until I get past the, all the group and then I can exhale. But between all that, all the craziness and all the stories uh, interspersed was, was that God was faithful again to, to meet these kids when his word was preached and when there were times for worship and response. And it was such a joy to watch it happen from the perspective of, of a man who was quite literally shaped. By nights just like that, what we experienced this past week. Recognizing that moments like those can capture a heart and catapult a life of running hard after God. God is amazing, and He did it again this week. But as we approach a topic today on sanctification by the Holy Spirit, I would be remiss not to mention that after a youth camp is when the enemy seeks to steal or downplay the work of God and what he did over that camp. So actually, uh, what I want to do right now is actually ask for you, as the body of Christ here at CCC, to all join me in prayer for God to protect the work that he has done and to give the youth a continued passion to live out the conviction that God stirred in their hearts uh, this past week. So please join me in prayer uh, for that. Father, we, we thank you for the work that you did this week in the youth. You are a good father who was faithful in meeting those kids where they were. But God, as we contemplate on the greatness of your work, we, we call upon your hand once more to preserve the work so that the gates of hell would not prevail and minimizing the efficacy of the truth you planted in their hearts. God, let the seeds of truth grow to full harvest. And let us be able to look back at this camp as one that truly did launch with intensity these kids into a lifelong pursuit of your will for their lives. God, prove your faithfulness again. And would you show us your favor today as we look at your word in Jesus name. Amen. Well, today's topic, like I've said, is is sanctification by the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to be going over what is sanctification. We're going to go over how sanctification is applied, the results of our sanctification, and the means of our sanctification. And um, I can kind of echo a little bit of probably the the feelings of Sean in that this topic could by no means be exhausted in a single sermon, just like justification. This is a drop in the bucket. This is a... Broad stroke as much as we can to try to cover such a, a beautiful topic. But uh, let's look at God's Word uh, together because we, we recognize that this is where our hearts are changed as we look at God's Word. It says this in Philippians 2, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So so like I said, it, it's been a week, but the start of this week was actually a great sermon by, by Sean, by Sean Ingler on justification, a handling of which was excellent, well sourced, and appropriately on awe inspiring. To contemplate the beauty of salvation and to rehearse the story again was great, and I would encourage everyone who hasn't already heard it to, to go back and to listen to that sermon. Part of doing that is that coming into today's topic, I will be leveraging much of what was established by Sean last week. As a congregation, you are very much coming into what can be considered to be kind of a, a continued episode, as you kind of, kind of see on TV if you, if you start an episode, if you start this episode without the context of last week, you will probably have a question uh, akin to, wait, uh, junior he's been shot? <laughs> wait, what? An old reference to a show that I've never seen or cared to see, yet I do know that line and that it was one of the famous cliffhangers of all time. Uh, but instead, as an audience, you'll be left with the previously on part of the episode, the part where you get a synopsis of the key items that you will need to know in order for you to understand that you're about to, what you're about to see and hear. So is this synopsis as good as the episode? Not in the slightest. This is not, uh, this is, this is Sean Sermon and I am just kind of trying to, to put it before you so that you can understand as we go forward. So just go back, find out about JR and that he was apparently shot. And today, uh, the topic will be much clearer. But to provide a brief rundown, John took us through Ephesians 2 to highlight our need for salvation from sin, that our sin caused separation from God. We were dead in our sin and incapable of saving ourselves, and we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And Kind of take note of that phrase, that children, because we're going to actually pick up that, the family language, because you were children of wrath, but then you find we are now children of God. So so take note of that phrase. So, but to continue, we were helpless. And then the two greatest words that I believe there are in the Bible appear, but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ By grace you have been saved. In verse 8 it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We needed to be saved from our sin, and we couldn't do it ourselves. It had to be done by Christ on our behalf, and the work uh, that he did would be counted to be ours through our faith alone and his work for us. It's Jesus' work that saves us, not our own. But Sean outlined that we are saved from sin in three categories. We're saved from the penalty of our sin. We're saved from the power of our sin. And we're saved from the presence of our sin. love the three Ps. It's very easy to remember. Penalty, power, presence. So when we look at these categories uh, of of sin and our need to be rescued from them, a little bit of a class participation time Uh, Which category of sin is the doctrine of justification dealing with? Don't all call out at once. Which one? Last participation time. Which one? No, I mean, justification is kind of dealing with all, but from the penalty of our sin. It's specifically freeing us from uh, the condemnation of our sin through justification. Justification refers to our legal standing before God as being declared righteous through faith. It is once for all time. We cannot become any more justified in the sight of God in this life or in heaven, and it is entirely God's work for us as we remember from Ephesians, you were dead in your sin. I don't know if you have a lot of experience with corpses, but they don't do much. Uh, In fact, they don't do anything at all, and if they are doing anything at all, you better run. Uh, (laughs) But we have been saved from the penalty of our sin, and the church says, amen. Amen. Kind of going out of order here. When will we be saved from the presence of sin in our, in our bodies? In heaven. That's right. That is referred to as our glorification when we receive our heavenly bodies or when Christ returns. We will be saved from the presence of our sin. And the church says, amen. So what about the second category? What about our need to be rescued from the power of sin in our lives? And what does that mean? Well, as all of you who are believers already know, once you accept Christ as your Savior, that doesn't mean you immediately stop struggling with sin, in your, with all sin in your life. That's just not true. So I really do like the illustration that Jeff has used before, which is uh, the illustration of Lazarus. Uh, and kind of the, the process of salvation and kind of taking every component. So let's look at John uh, 11, verse 43 through 44. It should be on the screen as well. And he said this, when he, said, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. So these, this perfectly, I feel, illustrates kind of the different components of salvation. When, when Christ speaks out, he calls out. He's, he's calling out to a corpse. The corpse then responds. There's regeneration. There's life that now flows in a body that was once dead. But what, what is the next step? It says that this body then just didn't stay there. It responded. It, the man who had died came out. Right, so that is the justification—the walking in newness of life—that we have life because of what Christ is did. We didn't do anything for that, uh, but He came out. But what does it say here? His his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with cloth. So he literally was hopping or wobbling out of the of of the of the tomb. That's the word. That's a good word. But he so but he so he wasn't walking clearly. So. What is, sin, what is sin but the, the wrappings and, and the, the, of, and the, I'm losing some words, but just basically the, the, the cloth and the, the sin is the outer dressings symbolizing, so what is, what did those wrappings always symbolize? It symbolized that the one inside is dead. That's what it always has symbolized, but that was no longer the reality of Lazarus. So he is alive, but he's got the wrappings of a dead man. So, so what are we supposed to do? It's... He's supposed to then start taking it off, but what, we, what we're highlighted here, it says, Jesus said to them, so not Lazarus, unbind him and let him go. So in Lazarus's process of removing these dressings, he needed help from other people to do that. So that, that is the illustration of sanctification, walking, removing of our old life, that we, are, we were dead, but we're not anymore, and putting it off to follow him. The sin, I mean, this, this means that through the doctrine of sanctification, we learn that we can be freed from the controlling nature. The binds control you. We can be freed from the controlling nature or dominion that sin had over us. It is because of Christ's work on the cross that we are no longer slaves to our sin. Rather, we are freed in Christ. That we, as true believers, and through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, Can and need to put off the old self in our old sinful patterns and strive to become more like Christ in all areas of our life. I love Hebrews 10, verse 14, and illustrating this. It says, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, for by a single offering, that's the work of Christ on the cross. It says, for by a single offering, he has perfected, past tense, is already done. You're justified. It's complete. For all time, those who are being sanctified. So that is a still working process. The first, song, uh, the first verse in the song that uh, we sang today of Rock of Ages says, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin, the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Therefore, it is through the process of our sanctification that we are being saved from the power of our sin. And the church says, amen. So in relation to the categories of the penalty, power, and presence of our sin, it is correct to state we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. We have been saved. That's justification. We are being saved. That's sanctification. And we will be saved. That's glorification. So in closing last week, Sean left us with what we are, that we are saved for something. That we're not just saved from something. We're saved for a purpose. That purpose is to show Christ to those around us. Because, get this. Wait, there's more. Remember the old reality of being children of wrath? Well, not only are our sins forgiven, but we were adopted as sons and daughters to God himself through Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says this. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We are family now. I had um, just the unmatched kind of joy to to celebrate with my sister, Emily and Joey, with with the birth of their son, their firstborn, Caleb. A kid who is, I have to say, unfairly cute. (laughs) He he seemingly defies the laws of what babies usually are, which is scrunched, wrinkly, and (laughs) old-looking. He is a cute kid. Uh, But nevertheless, we arrived at one of the great talking points in relation to newborns. And that is, who do you think he looks like? Sometimes it is obvious, other times, not so much. And sometimes it is obvious for the reasons, but that you wish weren't true. Uh, like for when girls look like their dads. Uh, prayers were offered up on my part that my girls would not look like me, but look like their mom. And God was gracious to me to, to answer that. Uh, we actually have some pictures sometimes of Ellie. Uh, compared to, to Amber, and we would show a picture of Amber to Ellie. He's like, who's this? He's like, that's me. And I was like, no, it's your mom, and praise God. But uh, as we talked it over, uh, and we're trying to come to a verdict, uh, Joey showed me a picture of himself when he was a baby, and we began to agree that the resemblance was there. And as, as Caleb will grow, we will continue to see that resemblance increase. But not just in appearance, but in character as well. So we as new believers, we now resemble in appearance our new heavenly father. But like Caleb, we are, we are young in our walks with the Lord at that point of salvation. We are metaphorically children or babies, so our resemblance is faint early on. But as we grow in faith, we want to grow in resemblance to our heavenly father to show Christ in our lives. And here at CCC, we kind of have what we, a verse that we say. Ref, uh, Milton referenced it. It's kind of our mission statement, and it's Colossians 1.18. At the end, it says, that in everything he might be preeminent. We want Christ to be seen in our lives, in every category. That's what we want. So how does this apply to our text this morning? Well, there there might have been a phrase in in Philippians that kind of stood out to you. It says, to work out your salvation. And that might kind of like rub you a little bit the wrong way because of of our understanding of justification. To work out, what what does that mean? Well, working out our salvation does not mean working for our salvation. It means to make the reality of the inward transformation accomplished by justification to be made visible on the outside. So, sanctification is living out the purpose established through our justification. It is applying the redemption of justification to our day to day lives so that we can become more like Christ, so that we can resemble him more. That is sanctification. So, let's get some uh, uh, definitions in uh, and kind of work through this together. With first categories, what is sanctification? But first off, I just want to say we know that sanctification is the will of God, that we are to be sanctified. And the reason I know this is because we have a verse that very clearly states this, but I'm reminded that as a husband, and I do believe that I speak for the majority of the other husbands out there, that we mostly desire to do what the will of our wives is. Uh, The problem oftentimes is that their will is sometimes left unspoken at least through words or at least through the words that we forgot that they actually said in the first place. Uh, But I digress. We would want to do with the will. If we knew the will, we'd do it. Just, honey, tell me what you want and I'll do it. Now, there is an uh, obligation for us to learn learn our wives and to understand that we don't have to have them to tell us. Anyway, but when they tell us, it's great because I was like, I know what to do now. So likewise, when it comes to the word of God, I find it very helpful when there are those moments that I could point to and say, that is what God wants for me. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3 is one of those times. It says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Can't be much more clear than that. This is what he wants for us. So let's, let's take that purpose and try to figure out how we can live this out. Secondly, sanctification is not a self-help seminar. This is something uh, that was very, the little self-help books references to Sean was uh, really uh, interesting that we kind of came to the same conclusion. But, you know, sanctification is not an attempt on our part to just be the best you, you can be. Uh, this, This is what the world passes off as wisdom in its desire to search for truth but in actuality what the bible describes is the exact opposite of that truth the bible says it's more of christ in you and less of you in you and john 3 verse 30 it says he must increase but i must decrease and further clarity comes from galatians 2:20 i have been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but Christ who lives in me. The Bible says that our identities before Christ have died. Our new lives are not our own. They belong to Christ. So here's the big idea. Wasn't able to put it on the screen and I kind of saw it. I'll repeat it a couple of times. So sanctification. Sanctification is the progressive work of God and man. That that actually is pretty vital here too. So Sanctification is progressive work of God and man, and if you want to put in parentheses next to man, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that makes us increasingly free from sin and increasingly more like Christ in our lives. So sanctification is the progressive work of God and man through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that makes us increasingly free from sin and increasingly more like Christ in our lives. Sanctification is our pursuit of holiness. Now, that word can kind of be an intimidating one. Uh, Sometimes it can uh, garner images of garments and sackcloths and eating locusts. But let's just break it down a little bit more uh, to make it more accessible. Um, Sanctification in the Greek is uh, hagiosmos. I know that doesn't make it sound like I'm making it easier. But hagiosmos, which is a noun derived from the root word for holy, which is hagios. So sanctification is the process of advancing and progressing in one's holiness. It is used to describe the believer's progressive transformation through the spirit into God's likeness. It means to be made holy. And to make holy means to be set apart for special use by God. That's what we see in Scripture. So what are we being set apart from? So we're, we're called to a purpose, but what are we being separated from? And this is it. We are being set apart from our sin so that we could be used more effectively for God. Another way to put it would be to be increasing in our devotion to God, that we have a pure devotion with no ulterior motives in our thoughts or actions That we would strive to be entirely his in everything that we do, in everything that we say, in everything that we possess. It's all his. That we would be reserved for God and his purposes in us. As a sidebar, one one thing I did find interesting in my, my study is that there's not a verse in the Bible that highlights the efficacy of serving at youth camp with increasing one's sanctification. And I was very shocked because... I just think that there's a high degree of correlation between being more like Jesus and moving from one degree of sunburn to the next. I mean, it's just, I was just really surprised. Now, we've been told that Jordan was on a trip this week with his family. But I have a theory that he was just so sanctified and serving at camp uh, that God just saw it fit to take him up like Elijah style. And uh, he's gone. So until I see him again, that's what I'm going with. So anyway... Uh, Christ must increase. But why? Why does why Christ need to increase? Because Christ is our holiness. The more Christ is shown in and through us, the more holy we are becoming. But this process requires a transfer. In order to put on more of Christ, we must put off more of our old self. Ephesians 4 Starting in verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. The Bible also states that we are to live a life uh, in the manner in which that is worthy of the gospel. It says that in Philippians 127, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? What characterizes a worthy life? What does it look like to be holy? What does it mean to to look like to fulfill what Jesus says is the greatest commandment? To love God with all of our hearts, our souls, and our minds. Which moves us on to our second point which is how sanctification is applied. The question of how we do that is answered by Christ himself in John 14, verse 15. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. A worthy life looks like obeying what the Bible says to do. The Bible means what it says and expects you to obey But that can sound like legalism, right? We know that Christ fulfilled the law perfectly for us, so we don't have to follow the law, right? That is true in relation to our justification, but that's not true in our relation to our pursuit of sanctification. That is why it's important that we remind ourselves of what our justification accomplished and what sanctification is accomplishing. Just as a reminder, justification is our legal standing of righteousness before God. Sanctification is our internal condition of being legally righteous, yet still a sinner. It is our pursuit to work out our legal reality to be our physical reality for our thoughts and actions. We are free from sin's condemnation. Now we strive to be free from its grip. Justification is once for all time. Sanctification continues throughout life. Justification is entirely God's work. You were dead and he made you alive and declared you righteous through our faith alone in Christ's work. But sanctification is not then saying, now this is where we pick up the slack. Uh, It's not like we could say God did justification, but now I have to do the sanctification part. No, no, Because sanctification, we cooperate with the spirit. Because God never throws us back to rely upon ourselves and our own resources. But he does expect us to do something. Romans 8.13 illustrates this. Should be up on the screen as well. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The following are both true statements. Without the Holy Spirit, there could be no mortification of sin. Second truth. Without our action, through the empowerment of the Spirit, there can be no mortification of your sin. The spirit provides the ability and the power to defeat sin, but you have to swing the sword. David was empowered by the spirit when fighting Goliath, but David had to be the one who threw the stone. Justification continued is is perfect in this life. Sanctification is not perfect in this life. So our faith in the gospel does not abolish our obligation to fulfill the commands of the Bible. Romans 3.31 says this. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So what is the difference between true sanctification and works-based sanctification? The answer is our motives. We are no longer trying to intend following God's commands to be the means of our justification. We can't do that. We recognize that. But rather, they are intended for God's glorification through our obedience to his law. Sinclair Ferguson puts it so well. He says this, love provides the motivation for our obedience to the law. The law serves in providing the direction and directing of our love. We aren't trying to look God, look look." good for God, for acceptance into his kingdom. Rather, we are trying to show God to be amazing to those around us by shining the light of Christ through our obedience to our Father. Our good works for God after our salvation are for his pleasure. Sanctification is the sign of true salvation in your heart, not the cause of it. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So what is the result of our sanctification? What is it that we're trying to do and accomplish? Romans 6, starting in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. In verse 13, it says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That's being used for God. That's what we we want. Look at this. It says, For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. So what, what, is that, what is that saying? What does dominion mean? Dominion is kind of an old word, but it refers to kingdoms. That dominion is a word relating to kingdoms. That sin was in this realm where we were citizens of being in sin. That it was our ruler. We had no ability to respond. We were slaves under this king. But that is no longer true. When we die to sin, our desires were reoriented so that we have the ability to choose God in righteousness because we've been moved from that kingdom into a different kingdom. That's no longer our king. So why do we serve it so much? Again, Sinclair Ferguson is really helpful here. He says, we are no longer slaves to sin. Yes, sin continues to indwell us. Yes, we must battle its influence, but it no longer reigns over us. It is no longer has a legitimate or legal claim for us in Christ. We have died to the realm of sin, of, uh, to the realm in which sin reigned. We are no longer sin's citizen. What we sang earlier, "Heaven's Citizen," by grace and grace alone. Uh, my wife, Amber, gave me an example yesterday that sin is often like the spots and smudges on, on our glasses that prevent us in seeing God better. I really like that illustration. wouldn't have come up with it because my eyes are awesome. So <laughs> fully sanctified. So. But they limit our ability to see God clearly but we want to see God better so that we can have Christ to be seen more clearly in us. Back to our text in Philippians in verse 13, it says this, for it is God who works in you. Catch this both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, God changes our desires. He changes our will so that we want to obey. We want to please Him. We want to be like Him. So as we walk in the Spirit, we want to please Christ first and not ourselves. Do you want that? Is that what your heart longs for? If not, I would plead with you to go to the Lord and ask Him to show you where your true allegiances are. Have you been moved to that new kingdom? Are you still, in the old one, still working to try to accomplish? I'm trying to be good, but it's That's not going to accomplish you anything. Your good works will not save you, but God. He's in the business of rescuing hearts and changing desires. So what are the means of our sanctification? How do we combat the desires in our flesh that have had a lifetime of being spoon-fed whenever they beckoned us with their call? The answer is that we satisfy our souls with something greater. As we taste and see that the Lord is good, sin begins to lose its flavor. As we become more like Christ and move forward in our sanctification, sin's siren call begins to be drowned out by the glory that is even the whisper of God's life giving words to us. The fruits of the spirit are a good example is that as the new fruits are coming on to your life, they can literally sometimes push off the old dying fruit. And so as you struggled with maybe particular categories of sin, you can almost find them in the fruits of the spirit. You know, fruits of the spirit is love. So it's like if you struggled with anger, you would see love showing. Like you struggled with self-control, now you can have control as the fruits of the Spirit are growing. New life in you. They push off those old things. In Philippians 3.8 it says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. How do we do it? How do we become like Christ? Do you want to know how to not sin against your Father? It's not a secret. And it's not a quick fix. In fact, it's going to take a lifetime. But it's shown in Psalm one nineteen, verse eleven. It says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. To put off sin, the first and biggest means is to read our Bibles. We have to get the truth of God's word before our eyes and our minds. In order that it could transform our hearts and our actions. The reason we don't find ourselves in the Word as much as we say that we want to is because our flesh recognizes that the Word changes us and our flesh hates it. The Word reveals stuff in us, it calls us to something. Therefore, read the Word as if your life depends on it because it does. The second means is coming to church in small groups to hear God's word preached and discussed. Do not forsake the assembly of God. Did you know that much of the commandments in the New Testament are written in the second person plural tense, not singular. So while we might have the ability to make progress in part individually in our walk in sanctification, it was never intended to grow in our sanctification alone. We're never supposed to do it just by ourselves. The third means is to pray. To pray for the Spirit's help and power to walk out applying God's will for your life. So as you learn God's will in his word and and discussing it at small groups and hearing it preached to you, you pray to the Spirit in order to walk that out. God, I know what you want now. God, would you apply this now to my life? Jordan preached two weeks ago on the spirit and that we should pursue him. This is the exact application that Jordan was referencing. In fact, while I was listening to his sermon uh, a couple of weeks back, in the back of my mind, I was like, don't you be preaching my sermon, bro. <laughs> but uh, you should go uh, listen to that one as well. I just uh, want to take a moment here uh, to speak to kind of a bigger truth of uh, God's design and how we are and how we operate and how we're changed and influenced. And that is we become what we behold as what my brother-in-law Evan has said. We are influenced by what we put in front of our eyes and what we put into our ears. It's how God designed us. So let me caution you on something. Be careful not to let the culture think for you. What I mean is the danger of this thought. I just, I just want to sit back. I just want to turn my brain off and, and watch this show. Or just to listen to this song. Okay, I've done it. Absolutely. But understand that critical thinking and worldviews are still being sown into your mind. All you've done in your attempt to just sit back and veg out is allow someone else to think for you. Be careful with what you feel might be neutral content. Because what we see is that there's nothing neutral in this world and that the enemy is just waiting for an opportunity. You are what you behold and just make sure to be discerning and be willing to turn something off. Also try to avoid the sunk cost fallacy. Well, I just want to see how this ends at the end of this, this episode of this movie. Um, I've already paid for my ticket. I've already bought the rental. Um, I've watched this amount of seasons What does the word of God tell us? It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Be willing to show conviction and be looked at to be funny from some people because you decided not to watch something or to listen to certain things. But always be mindful of this. You are not missing out if the alternative is a deeper relationship with God. So the three means... Sanctification, which is not at all an exhaustive list. God uses so much in our lives to transform us. But we're saying he is faithful to change us continually through our experiences. But the three means we mentioned, read your Bible to know know God's will for your life. Gather together with other believers so you can further discuss and discern God's will for your life. And pray for the Spirit's help and power to walk out. Applying God's will for your life. I want to continue the illustration of wanting to become like our father. I want to tell you about a story about my dad. Um, my, my dad, uh, at one point, he's an engineer, but he at one point opened a side business to clean carpets. Uh, and so grew up just kind of working with him. Became a certified carpet cleaner. Actually, I think he was a certified technician. Had to go to Indianapolis, take a little test, <laughs> Had a little badge. It was awesome. Uh, but one of the jobs that we had, we would clean a lot of restaurants at night. Uh, and this is actually, at that time, he, was, he was, had two jobs. So he was working a full, I think he would get up somewhere around 6.30, 6, work a full day. And then we would get to these restaurants when they closed. We couldn't go in until everybody was out. So one of the main restaurants that we cleaned was P.F. Chang's on the South Shore. Uh, and they didn 't close till around twelve uh, and they and then we had to wait for everybody to leave, so we didn 't get in there until sometimes twelve thirty twelve forty five So at that point he would already been up since six in the morning, and then we would clean the carpets it was uh, we would do the majority of it one night, and then the next night we would come back for the small portion. But we would come home on that first night somewhere around 3:30 30 or four in the morning after a few hours of work. And I remember, so I, I came home, we were just exhausted. You know, he's now literally pushing a 20 hour day. Uh, and he decided to, you know, sleep downstairs. He didn't want to wake my mom up. So he just was down there and I went up stairs to go to bed. About uh, 15 minutes later, it's like, man, I am thirsty. So I need to go get a drink. Uh, and I come down, come downstairs and I see my dad. He's reading his Bible. My dad's taught me a lot in my life, but that's what I learned the most from was that moment. See that it was not—it's not just things that we do, but that it was his most important desire. That he was not willing to let something come in between him and being before his father. He was not going to miss, not for the pageantry, not for the Pharisees who would pray out loud, but he's like, no, I want to be here. This is far surpassing. This is greater. And it was in that moment I said, I want to be like my dad. I want to live a life that's not compromising in my desire for God's word, to let everything else be in submission to that pursuit and, to not, and not let it be the other way around. But as I looked in that moment at my earthly father and desired to be like him, what I recognize now was that my dad in that very moment was looking at his heavenly father and wanting to be like him. I'd like to, to close today by praying or reading the lyrics of "O oh, Great God. In this, it's, it's the process of recognizing our desire to God. Would you indwell our hearts to purify us from sin, God? So as, as I read this, the, the lyrics will be on the screen. And please just make this your prayer too. Oh, great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. Own it all and reign supreme conquer every rebel power let no vice or sin remain that resist your holy war you have loved and purchased me make me yours forevermore i was blinded by my sin i had no ears to hear your voice did not know your love within had no taste for heaven's joys then your spirit gave me life opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. Help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. O great God of highest heaven, Glorify your name through me.